Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We start at 9 a.m. prayer right here in the auditorium and uh, our circle of prayer, we, we stand in a circle and pray. It just gets bigger and bigger every single week. We had new people join us this week and uh, it just keeps expanding, expanding. And I know God answers prayer. I'm absolutely certain about that. So if you have some issues or you've got some problems or some struggles or anything at all, uh, take it before God and learn how to pray. Uh, fight the battle on your knees, so to speak. I don't literally pray on my knees very often, but uh, you know, just that's a sign of uh, I'm too weak and God's so strong, we can't lose. And that's just the way God, God answers that. So God bless you guys. Welcome to City Church. Thank you guys. You guys are amazing. And uh, give me a hand clap of appreciation. That's so good. I, I am, uh, I'm excited that we're getting an education. And sometimes that word education, it conjures up all kinds of things. But we're learning to love God, and because God is a person and God has his ways, which are often past finding out, and some, some people say, you know, his ways aren't our ways. And, and because God is an individual that very much rules the universe and he's very unique, he's one of a kind, actually, uh, his ways are incredible, but we need to be educated. We need to find out what his ways are. And that's why this series is called Learning to Love. In fact, in particular, it's learning to love God. A lot of people would say, why do you need to learn to love God? Well, if you're married here, why do you need to learn to love your spouse? Like, there is uh, instant love where it's like love at first sight, kind of gushy feeling stuff. But when that wears off, then there's the nitty gritty, which is learning to know what that person's likes are, what pleases them, what displeases them, uh, what they are like and their temperaments and everything else. Well. We don't know God until we uh, spend time with God and, and spend time in God's Word. And then when we do, we discover, gee, God's not exactly like, like us. He doesn't behave the same way. He, he's got a much higher agenda. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible says. And, and so God is, is a person that we really need to get educated in. Now, the bad news, or the good news, whichever way you want to take it this morning, is that with every education, there's exam time. If you're anything like me, you don't like sitting exams. I can't remember a test yet where I went, oh, this is so amazing. We're going to get to sit an exam. And that all through high school, probably the worst thing was exam days. And I don't know if there's anybody out there that's like me. Uh, we don't generally like to sit an exam. But an exam actually locates us. I'm so thankful that whatever is important in life, whatever we get educated on, that we're tested on that. Yes. I, I uh, would, wouldn't want somebody flying the airplane, if I'm getting on it anyway, that uh, doesn't sit an exam and doesn't know what they're doing, that didn't have an education in flying. I, I, I'm so thankful that there's very strict rules uh, on pilots and education and exam times and you know all kinds of simulators and, and everything like that. I'm so thankful that, that, that every pilot has to sit a whole series of exams to show if they're competent. I don't want anybody operating on my brain if they actually haven't got an education and sat the exams and pass the exams. Like, don't touch my brain, thank you. Uh, just because you've got a friend that was a surgeon or an uncle that's a surgeon, but you've never done it, that doesn't count. When it comes to faith and, and, and God and, and being a Christ follower, uh, sometimes we take that rather flippantly as if it's just a, a rubber stamp, we're all going to pass, and that's just the way it goes. No need to get educated and no need to sit an exam. Well, wrong, wrong, and wrong, wrong again. How important is your faith? How, how important is it what you're sharing? How, how important is it what you believe? Well, I would dare to say it's the most important thing in your whole life. So therefore, because it's important, there is exam time. Now, we're going to look at that. In fact, I've called this morning's message, I've called it the exam. It's time for us to look at the exam that we are going to sit when it comes to love, and in particular, again, 
in particular to loving God. So I want to go uh, over to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, the examiner himself, the ultimate examiner, sits in exam. We're talking about God. Jesus had to sit Satan's exam. Now, that doesn't roll off the tongue very easily, but if we go over to Matthew chapter 4, and we start with verse uh, uh, 1, I believe it is. Let's just have a look over there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And you'll notice who leads him to sit this exam. And uh, before I start, before we look into the text, I also want to say that an exam involves choices. And it's not an exam if there's not the potential anyway to answer incorrectly. It, it, there's, there's no exam unless there's a choice involved in it. And so it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Notice that who led him to be tested. It was the Spirit of God that led him to be examined or to be tested. Sometimes when we're tested or tempted even, we're like, oh, it's the devil, it's the devil. It's not always the devil, friend. It's God often leading you into paths so that he can locate it and you can locate, more importantly, exactly where you're at. And so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We don't like wildernesses, do we? We want easy street. We kind of like the Truman Show. We, we kind of want every neighborhood neat and tidy. And uh, we don't want the windy day, to the, blo the blowing of the wind too strong. We don't want too much rain. We don't want too much heat. We don't want too many trials, to, uh, too many struggles. But Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's the devil's number one job. And doesn't he do a good job of it? He is the best at what he does. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I guess so. Hello. Like one, one day without food would, would do me in. I have fasted longer than that, but uh, I've fasted sometimes where I'd open up the fridge. I remember I did it like three weeks once, and it was like no food at all. And I opened up the fridge, and the tomato ketchup and sauce bottles were speaking to me. <laughs> Everything, even mustard, like anything in the fridge at all, like I told Gail, just clean the fridge out. I don't want to be tempted with any of this stuff. Like, it was all talking, pick me, pick me. Anything's going to taste right, good right now. Even a raw onion, just have something. 40 days and 40 nights, then verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if, I, I, I won't do the devil's voice, but, uh, how, how would he sound in doing that? If you are. No, he's actually an angel of light, so it'd be a very nice voice. The, Gail says, don't do it. Okay. Uh, the tenter came, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that doesn't sound like much right now while we're sitting here, probably have already had breakfast this morning and everything else. But after 40 days and 40 nights, nights of no eating, even rocks start to look like food. Have you ever watched any of those survival shows? Like there's one called uh, Shouldn't Be Alive, which, uh, which I love. And sometimes they're, they're either out in, in the outback. We watched one where the guy's stuck out in the outback because he got lost. Uh, another one, they're in the Amazon. I mean, not a great place to get lost for like, you know, weeks on end. Uh, another one, probably the worst one that I could think of, which, which would just be a nightmare, stuck out in the middle of the ocean. You know, maybe the life raft, uh, maybe not the life raft, maybe just a life vest, but out in the middle of the ocean. And, and invariably, uh, they, they need moisture. They need some kind of, not just food, but they need water. And so it becomes very tempting because guess what you're surrounded with out in the ocean? You're dehydrated. The sun comes up. They're all getting baked. I remember one episode in this raft, and, and it's like, oh, I'm so thirsty right now. Like, they're, you know, they're drinking things that they shouldn't drink. And, and, but they're looking around. Water. Why don't I just, worst thing you can do. It looks like water. It is water. But it's loaded with salt. And if you drink it, guess what? You go mad. And that's what happened in one of those episodes, like, don't drink it. This guy, forget it, you know, he starts drinking that, and pretty soon 
he's deranged, he's out of his mind, he's a madman and decides to take a walk uh, uh, to where he thinks is a parking lot or something, but he jumps out of the raft. And there's all these fins swimming around, and next thing you know, he's gone, uh, checked out. So rocks start to look like food. And, 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 he's, and the devil says, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answers, listen to this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The first thing that you're going to be temp, uh, tested on or examined on is your identity. Who are you? Jesus' identity gets tested now. His identity is son of God and son of man. As a man, he is incredibly hungry. His flesh is craving food. His humanity says, just do it, man. Just do what the tempter says. And it was a temptation. A temptation isn't a temptation unless he was seriously tempted to do it. So those rocks would have been an easy miracle for him to start his miracles off with instead of uh, watering the wine at the wedding at Canaan in uh, John 4, I think it was. Uh, he could have started off with rocks in the bread. But he chose not to follow his humanity as son of man, 100% man, but instead, he sides with his identity as son of God. And he says this, and this applies to us uh, in particular with our identity. Man, that's us, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that continually proceeds out of the mouth of God. As the son of God, he ruled over his flesh. He ruled over his appetites. As a child of God, as a son or a daughter of God, whichever that may be, you are to rule over your appetites because you are not just flesh and blood, but you are also spirit. You are also born from above, if you've asked Jesus, into your life. So you are to rule from that identity over your flesh. God is not into doing cheap tricks. And God doesn't do one here. Although he's tempted, he was hungry, he didn't do it. Now, his identity and our identity determines our position. Because his identity is son of God and son of man, he has a position that's unique to him alone, but he passes that on to us as his body, the body of Christ, and that is the position of provider. You see, he declares over himself, I am the bread of life. Come to me, all that are thirsty, all that are weary. I will give you something to eat. He said, if you don't uh, drink of my blood and, and eat of my flesh, you'll have nothing in me. And the, his disciples walked off. They were so disgusted with that thought, but they didn't understand the connotation and the meaning behind that, that he is life. Everything else is dead rock. Everything else that you serve, everything else that you try to eat to fulfill your appetite, everything else other than him, life itself is like a rock. It's the material world. You cannot eat the material world and survive. It will not give you sustenance. There's only one way to get life, and that is from life himself. He declares, I am am the bread of life. I am your provider. Out of identity, son of God, son of man, comes his position, which is provider. He would not violate that by turning rocks into bread. He is the bread of life. So think about yourself for a moment, but uh, you're dying of thirst, you're dying of, uh, of hunger in your life, and, and the temptation is to take the material and to use it for something other than bringing life. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was a, a dear old saint that had an amazing church in South Indiana. His name was Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall met Smith Wigglesworth, who's uh, quite an incredible legend when it comes to faith. And, and he met Smith when he was, I think he was 17, 18 years old. He, uh, purposely traveled to England to, to meet the aging Smith Wigglesworth. It was the outbreak of World War II. And, and uh, he knocked on the door and had a London Times in his hand. And Smith Wigglesworth answered the door and said, uh, what's that? So it's just the London Times. He said, well, you can come in. You can leave that outside. 
Smith Wigglesworth wouldn't feed on anything except the Word of God. In fact, Lester said the whole time that he was with Smith Wigglesworth, who raised people from the dead, saw incredible miracles. Uh, the whole time that he vis would visit him, he said, all we did is pray and read the Word together, talk about the goodness of God. And then when it was time for me to go, he'd say, okay, I guess it's time for you to go. And he'd go upstairs and pray by himself. I think about somebody like that. I'll never forget when uh, Lester, I was at Bible college, and he spoke. He's long, long passed away now. But uh, the aging Lester Summerall now, he's, he's pretty well, you know, at the end of his life. He's speaking to 1,700 students at Bible college, of which I was one of them. And he said this. He said, the biggest decision that you will ever make if you're successful, and he said, most of you won't be. <laughs> I like that. He's just totally straight up. You know, if you're successful, most of you won't be, but if you are, he said, the biggest decision that you're going to make is this. He said, every year, millions of dollars flow through my hands in ministry. He says, the biggest decision is how much do I keep for myself? Well, how much do you keep out of everything that God blesses you with? How much of it flows through you? God will get it to you if he can get it through you, somebody said. And he said this. If that wasn't enough, Lester said this. He goes, if I die with millions of dollars in the bank, he said, I die a traitor to the cause that I serve. Whoa. That's a drop the mic right there, hey. I remember that hit me, and I thought, wow. Like choices, choices, choices. The first exam that you're going to sit or that you're sitting actually is the, the exam of identity. Who are you? Are you a child of God? Are you serving God's purpose? First, the kingdom of God. All these other things, things will be added, added unto you, and God will get it through you to other people, that's what love does? Or is it the other way around, serving yourself, and maybe if there's some leftovers, somebody else might get a, a little bit of it, but I doubt it, because there's usually only just enough for you know uh, me and us four no more. So most people's identity is based on their achievement. Your identity is who God says you are, not uh, on your achievements. Your identity is in God alone and who God says that you are. You are a child of God. You are an ambassador of heaven. You are, you are, you are who God says who you are. And love determines your position on this exam. It's love as you're stepping out that's determining your position, which is coming out of your identity. So love became one of us, that's Jesus, so that we could live, he could live rather, in all of us. Love become one of us so God could free all of us. It's hard to bind a broken heart. It's hard to uh, free a, a, a tormented soul if you haven't been there. Jesus stepped it out. Jesus stepped into our world. Love himself stepped into our world so that we're not looking at the material and trying to feed off of that, but we are looking at him, the bread of life, and we realize that because he became one of us, he can empathize with us. Not sympathize. Big difference between those two words. Sympathy is pity. Sympathy is what the uh, Levite and the priest walked past that man that had fallen on the, on the road there uh, down to Jericho. Sympathy went, oh, that's a shame. Isn't that, isn't that bad? If you're watching television and, you know, these ads come on there about these poor people over in uh, wherever starving to death. It's like, hey, did you order the pizza yet? Click through the channel. Let's just, you know, uh, yeah, that's terrible. Click, click, click. Sympathy is pity. Empathy is when God stepped into your skin. God stepped into your world. God was tested like you're tested, but without sin. God, God was hungry. God knows what it's like to be sad. God knows what it's like to feel pain. He felt so much pain, probably more than you or I will ever feel when he was on the cross. God can empathize with you because God became one of you. He stepped into our world to free us from this world. 
and as we're getting educated about God and, we, and, and we're looking at uh, being examined on that and being able to make choices, the choices that we make, our, our identity must determine our position. Our, our, our position then overrides our achievements and everything else that society, whose society says that we are, so that we can actually be moved with compassion like he was. The great scripture on this is Hebrews 4.15. Listen to this. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize, there's that word, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Think about that. Just as we are, son of man, yet he did not sin because his identity, son of God, kept him from bowing down to the temptations of the Son of Man. Your identity as child of God, son or daughter of God, will sustain you if that's established in you, however it will be tested. I don't know if you've been around the block uh, as many times as I have in your Christian life, but invariably over the years that I became, a, since I became a Christian, I'll, I'll hear people and they test my identity. I thought you were a Christian. I, I, thought you, I thought you were a pastor. I, I thought, I'm very aware of who I am. I'm very aware that I'm a man. Uh, I, 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 I'm a flesh and blood man. I get hungry, I get tempted, I get tested just like you do. But I'm also very aware that my identity is child of God, ambassador of the most high God, that I am seated with him in heavenly places. I, I am very much aware that I'm born from on high. I'm not just born from this earth. I'm very much aware of my identity. However, my identity and your identity probably gets tested every day and sometimes more than once every day. And how do I sustain that? How do I, how do I keep that, protect that? When I'm examined in, in that area, I go up. I go up and I'm reminded, I get into the word, I'm reminded of who I am. I think about walking through this earth and the journey that we have, it goes something like this. Because of the pain that I've endured, because of the pain that I know, I therefore can know what someone else is going through in their pain. Because I know what it's like not to have enough money to pay the next bill, I can therefore empathize with somebody else that, that's struggling in that area. Because I, I know what it's like to be fully human, I can empathize with somebody else that's fully human, struggling in their humanity. That is the examination, that is the test of love. That's why we need to be educated in God's ways and the way that God does it and what Jesus did when he became a man and was tested and tempted in all points such as we. If you'd never known, you'd never know. So I encourage you to do this. Use your identity to identify. Use the identity that God's given you to identify with other people and whatever it is that they're going through, that's what love does. Use your journey for God's purpose. Because you were sick, you should be easily touched when you encounter a sick person. I remember once when I was preaching down in Tasmania years ago before I started this church, uh, before I was married to my beautiful wife, I was in Tasmania and um, having some, some healing meetings. I was seeing okay results, but then my back went out. I don't know what I did, uh, but my back just really went out. And I was, I was writhing in pain. I'm thinking, I've got all these meetings to do now, and I'm just so, so suffering to the point where, uh, I don't know if you've ever, ever had back pain, but you find you can't sleep until you find that sweet spot it's just, I don't know what it is, but the nerves or whatever, it's, they back off enough. If you're on the bed, it's like if you move out of that sweet spot, the pain is all back on for young and old. It's just like ridiculous. I was in so much pain. And, and I remember I'd find the sweet spot. I just wouldn't move. I'd just fall asleep and stay there. But something shifted in my meetings. 
God began to give me incredible empathy for people with back problems. And I was in Launceston preaching and then down in Hobart. And I'll never forget it. Like healing broke out like never before with people with back pains. I remember one guy, his back was all frozen. It had been, he'd been to the surgeons. They, did fuse, they fused his vertebrae together. He couldn't bend over hardly at all. He was touching his toes. The healing power of God hit so strong because of the empathy, because of God, God's love that I had so much compassion now for people with, with bad backs. It was like what it says about Jesus. He had compassion. When he saw the multitudes, it says he had compassion, common passion for them, and he healed their sick. The love of God started to pour out through me until... Years later, I forgot what the back pain felt like. Not quite back to ordinary, but it was extraordinary when I had back pain personally. My journey began to speak. Whatever your journey is right now, let your journey speak through you. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, use that as, as part of the position that God will place you in so that his love can flow through you. Don't, don't uh, despise that. Sometimes we just so despise it. Well, why did that bad thing happen? Why? I didn't deserve it. It's not fair. Shake our hand at God. Where God's saying, hey, take that. Take that right now. Do as I did. Because I became one of you. I, I, I wept. I laughed. Uh, I, I suffered. I know what it's like. And I used that. Now use that, take that, and, and use that identity and purpose and let that flow through your life. You will experience supernatural power out of that journey that flows through you. And so because you were, you can. That's the thought that I want to leave you with on that one. Verse 5, first test again is identity. Uh, verse 5, then the devil took him up to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will, see the devil quotes scripture, oh, he knows the Bible better than most of us. Doesn't mean he's following, obviously not. But he can quote scripture. Don't think because somebody can quote scripture they're following God. That's the great deception. It is written, he says. And he starts quoting the Bible. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him. It's also written. He's the author of the book. Hello. <laughs> Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So many people are putting God to the test all the time. As soon as you're tested, the, 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 the first thing to do is to shift it off of you and start testing God. I don't like this wilderness. I don't like this sticky situation. I don't like what I'm going through. It, you know, it's the devil. Therefore, God, where are you? Get me out of this. I don't like being in pain. Who does? But it is also written... Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The second test in our exam is the test of self-preservation. Will you use your power to protect your position? Oh, don't we uh, hate it when we're in a position. And look, pastors are as bad as anybody, probably worse, to be quite honest. <laughs> Whenever our position gets challenged and we're in a position to make a choice, Am I going to preserve myself? Am I going to preserve me? Am I going to put my protection and my provision first? Or am I going to do what love does? Am I going to not worry so much about me, but think about how can I bless that other person? Sometimes they're vicious and they're attacking, but they need forgiveness. Oh, is it hard to pray, pray for your enemies? Hello. How hard is it to pray for those that despitefully persecute you and abuse you and all those other things and use you? Oh, I don't want to pray for them. I want to pray for, like Elijah, I want fire to come down like Mount Carmel. Destroy the sacrifice. They make them into a sacrifice. You are going to, you're going to, you're going to suffer. You're going to regret the day that you touched me. As soon as my position is in jeopardy, do you know what? Keep your reputation intact, definitely. I'm not, I'm not. 
But your position in God is to grab a towel, gird yourself with it, and wash people's feet. Your position is humility. Your position is to love the unlovely. Your position is to forgive even the unforgivable. That's your number one position in life. But when you're challenged, will you protect? Will you build a wall around your position? Will you defend the fort? Will you, will you answer back with cannon fire when fire's coming on the fort? Will you man the walls? Will you put the walls up even higher and fortify them even more? Will you become a defensive person all the time, defending everything, getting on the phone, uh, you know, answering all your critics? And, 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 and Drop the stones, man. Just drop it. Let God deal with all of that. What are you going to do when the choice is, I might dash my foot, I could command angels down. He could have done that. He could have not gone to the cross, and we would have all gone to hell. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? But he took the highest position, which is the lowest position. Will you take the, the low road, so to speak, of humility and, and love? so that you can then be exalted in due time. It says that God will exalt you in due time. See, lust says, me first. Love says, I'm going to lay down my life for others. How far does love go when it comes to risking itself, even, even uh, to the point of, of death, which is what he did? I remember once uh, hearing this illustration. It really stuck with me, but... There's five dollars, it's over a cliff. It's on a piece of string. It's kind of over the cliff there. How far would you go to the cliff, and the cliff's like hundreds of feet down or whatever, you fall off, you're gonna die. How far would you go for five bucks? Not very far. I wouldn't. <laughs> what if it's a hundred bucks? Eh, some of us might venture out there and try to grab that hundred dollar note. Well, what if it's thousand dollars is sitting there you've got to go venture over the over the cliff enough to risk your life to get the thousand dollars how how far would you go for a thousand dollars see everybody's got a price well most of us if you're scared of heights like i am and uh this uh account here of jesus temptation in, in matthew 4 that we're reading it deals with high things you know temple and cliffs all that kind of stuff i'm like <laughs> takes take, it's it's a fearful thing how, how far would you go? Most of us wouldn't go very far for a little bit of money. But what if it was the person that you loved the most, your daughter, your son, whoever, that was over the cliff that needed somebody to lean over and risk their life to pull them up? I think most of us, especially parents, I'm in, all in. I would risk my life. I would put my toes on the edge of the cliff if I had to go that far to get the hands of the people I love and pull them up out of harm's way. How, how far are you going right now in your love and, and, and not protecting your position? Jesus wouldn't do that. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and he said, this I will give you. See, he's the God of this world. If you will bow down and worship me. So now the carrot gets in front of Jesus, and it's the third test. First one again was identity. Second one again, preservation. The third one here, the third one is power. How do you handle power when you're in the high position and you've got power over other people? Where I see this the most is when I go to third world. And uh, I, I've got to say this, I'm often embarrassed at us Aussies, at the way we behave in some of these countries. And I remember God pulled me up once, we were in Bali or someplace, and it was like uh, somebody was selling belts or something and, you know, the belts, I think the starting price was like about $3 Australian, something for this belt. It's like, ah, oh, leave it to me, Gail. <laughs> I'll get them down. <laughs> it's $3, for goodness sakes. <laughs> this poor person, <laughs> you know, they worked so hard doing however they got the belts, and they're out there in the hot sun selling these belts. And, you know, here I am hammering out a bargain. 
Oh, you got to be prepared to walk away. That's the secret to getting a bargain for a belt or a hat or whatever it is that they're selling, trying to, trying to feed their poor, starving family. You just got to walk away. Okay, you want bunch? Okay, that's cool. There's another belt guy down the road. See you later. And God pulled me up on that. Where's your heart? If you're going to buy a belt, give them more than the uh, amount that they're asking. It's like another dollar to you means nothing. And we go out and spend, you know, $5, 7 $10 or whatever on a cappuccino. And here's, here, here I am bargaining this person down, and, and God really arrested me on that. Like, because I was in a position of power. A lot of us are in positions of power that might not be very powerful to each other or somebody else, but every one of us has been given some kind of a position where we're in power. What will you do with that? The devil offers Jesus this temptation. You just worship me. You just worship me. Hoard it up. You just, you just put your hard hand. Be, be heavy-handed on these people like Pharaoh was with, with the, uh, uh, the, the, the Israel. You know, just put some more on them. You've got the power now, baby. You can do whatever you want, and nobody can stop you. Don't we just see that right now in all the, uh, the media that's going ballistic with all these powerful people using and abusing their power? over women in particular and, and over young people. It's everywhere. But before we throw stones at them and definitely, you know, the guilty, how about the way you use your power in the everyday? Because love doesn't do that. Love knows and that power test will come upon you. What does it gain a man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Who are you if you lose your identity? Who are you? How, how do you handle being on the top when you have position, when you have money, when you have power, when you have options to say, oh, God blessed me with so much, and then use, abuse that power, that position, that money, what does it say? And so in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. So how will we pass the exam? I want to know, because this exam is pretty tough. Well, there's some good news. It's an open book exam. The exams that I had in school, that I would always breathe a, uh, a breath of, <laughs> of relief, <laughs> as if the professor in college or teacher or whatever it was would say, Okay, we got this exam coming up, but I've decided to make it open book. It was like, whoo, yeah, this is like cheating, but it's not cheating. This is so good, because I can flip over now. I can find out the, the date that Hammurabi uh, climbed over the Alps or something, which I couldn't remember. You know, I could find out about the Ming Dynasty or whatever it was in history. I can look up the algebraic formula and, and figure this out. I can get the answer because it's open book. Do you know that the life exam that you are sitting right now is open book? All of God's exams, thank God, are open book. Would you open the book because you are sitting the exam right now? It's called life. This isn't just going to be some exam that you're going to sit some other way. You know, I marvel at how God has orchestrated this. I really marvel because he set up this existence called our lifetime with something called time. He took it out of eternity, set it up with planets spinning around and clocks and all the rest of it, but, it, but we have this illusion that this just goes on forever. Oh, occasionally there's a funeral. We're reminded, you know, life doesn't go on forever. But every day it just seems like there's another day for me to exercise my power. There's another day to compromise my identity. Oh, there's just another day, another day to use provision for myself. It's another day not to love. But we forget that we're in the middle of the exam. It's called life. If you knew that there was going to be one day in your whole life 
where you are going to sit the exam that was going to determine the rest of your life. Just one day. And, and, and during that day, you are going to meet the relative, the loved one of the most powerful person on the planet. More powerful than Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Putin, whoever else. You are going to meet them during that, the course of that day. But the catch is you don't know whether the male or the female. You don't know whether they're going to be young or old. You don't know whether they're going to be a banker or a bus driver. You are going to meet the loved one of the most powerful person on the planet. And the way that you treat them is going to determine the course of the rest of your life. How would you live that day? You see, the most insignificant person could be the one. It could be the little old lady crossing the road. Could be the lonely man sitting out at a mall, nobody to talk to because he's widowed. It could be the person that we don't have nice words for because the bus is late. It could be. Could be the bank teller. It could be. It could be the child. It could be. It could be the teenager, it could be anybody. You don't know who it's going to be. But the way you treat them in the course of that day is going to determine the course of the rest of your life. Well, my friends, that day is your lifetime. And the course of your life is eternity. How you live this life really matters. You are sitting the exam right now, but you don't often know it. Most people are oblivious to it. They think this isn't the exam. This is it. No, this is not it. This is the exam. It goes on forever. And what you do here uh, and how you love the relative, the loved one of the most powerful person, God, is going to determine the course of your eternity. How then shall you live? I think very, very purposely, yeah. I'm going to wind this one up, uh, but I'm thankful that it's an open book exam. I'm also thankful that the author of the book sits the exam with us couple scriptures, John 14, <laughs> but the advocate, he's an advocate, he's a helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, which is John 14, 26, who will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. In other words, he's there as you're sitting the exam every single moment of every day to remind you what is important as you are sitting, walking through life, as you are being tested. He's, he's there to make you aware, hey, don't, don't say that. Hey, you, you, need to, you need to, don't, no, that's for them. Hello, I want you to give that. I want you to be kind. He's there to remind you, the advocate, Luke 12, 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Every moment of time, as you're walking through it, you've got the Holy Spirit there to teach you and to help you so that you cannot fail this exam if you will listen to him. You are sitting the, the exam now. Could be anybody, anywhere that you're going to meet during that day. I... You know, I remember once it, it, it went to a conference in uh, Kuala Lumpur and it was out in the foyer. And this is how people surprise you because you, you, can't, you can't look at the cover of a book and really know what's in it. Judging a, a book by its cover, judging a person by the outside. And I'm out there and there were very few uh, people like myself that were there uh, most people were quite a bit shorter and they were Malaysian people and I'm out in the foyer and I wanted this particular book and I said to Gail I want to get this book uh, so you know when I get home I wish I had it now because I, I would read the book while we're uh, you know staying there going to this conference and this man walked up and he said uh, I saw you in the conference there he says uh, you, you, you were introduced are you from uh, Australia I said yes I am and he goes, God told me to give you this. He pulled out the very book that I wanted. And I'm like, oh, thank you. So we start to talk. 
And I said, uh, so he goes, I go to Australia frequently, and he's a solid Christian guy. And uh, I said, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I just own a couple Marriott hotels. <laughs> yeah. Looking at him, never would have guessed it. One of the kindest souls, you know, that I've ever, just generosity, very beautiful spirited, spirited man. But you never know. You just never know who you're talking to. But I can tell you this, something that you can know who you're talking to. There is not one person that you have talked to or ever will talk to that is not immortal. There is not one person that is not an immortal soul that's either destined for heaven or for hell, with God or without God. There is not one person that you have met, that you will encounter today, even here in the church, outside the church, wherever you're watching online. There is not one person that is not an immortal being. They are not mortal. They are all eternal beings. And there is not one person that God does not love with all of his heart. So every person that we approach, if we would approach it that way, we would realize that perhaps that person is the one that God's using for me to sit the exam. Well, I'm going to close with this scripture and take a breath because this is a very big one. I'm not going to pull it apart, but this is not a parable. This is an actual event that is going to happen at the end of the age. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's very convicting, so hold on to your seats. Verse 31, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is the day where Jesus is coming back. Everybody, whoo, hallelujah, man. I can't wait for that day. Hold on. And the angel's with him. And he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you didn't, you, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I, would, I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need of clothing or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment for the righteous, eternal life. God wants to pour out his love on our community on this world, on all of you, and everybody that all of you, including me, will go out and meet in the middle of our exam. There will come a, a time where he says, okay, exam's finished. You're out of here. Let's just see how you did. I want to be on the right side. I'm so thankful there are great rewards for following Jesus that are eternal. I am so thankful that God gives us an open book, that he gives us a, a helper, he gives us the ultimate tutor to be there with us while we're taking this exam called life. But I'm also very cognizant, very much aware 
that this thing, this exam is, is fastly coming to a finish. Don't know when, but I really want to hear well done. I want to be on that right side. How about you? Well, I want you to consider this morning's message, if you're listening online or you're here, I want you to, to take it for myself anyway, for what it is, it's a, it's a wake-up call. It's for goodness sakes, <laughs> wake up. Don't behave as if this is it, and it doesn't really matter. And certainly keep your identity intact. Keep aiming your wealth, your provisions out there towards other people. It's, it's a, a weapon of math, mass salvation is your money. You pointed at yourself, though, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode. It's, it's going to be suicide for, for you. Any weapon needs to be respected. Aim it outside. And use the power that God's given you, no matter how much you think it is, how big or how little, use that power for the glory of God to love people. And so ends the education of how to love God. And the exam is you're in it so I really encourage all of us I just want to pray uh, I want us to walk out of here different than what we came and I certainly have been in preparing this believe me challenged at every single point I hope that you're challenged and I hope that you'll take the time that you got left and do something about it can we just bow our heads and pray wherever you're at right now I thank you that the test isn't about your theology how right you are theologically. That's important. But the test of love is how do you treat people that God loves? In doing so, you're actually treating Him, showing your love toward Him. Father, I thank you right now. Let your hand of love and let the power of your Holy Spirit just reach into the hearts of every single person that's listened to this message today. Let us share this not with condemnation towards other people that they're failing the exam or judging them, but perhaps a wake-up call as well, that they can wake up while there's still time and make some corrections in the way that they're going. Thank you so much. Anybody that's here that doesn't know Jesus, I'm going to pray right now a prayer. You can pray this prayer out loud. It's very, very simple. You can ask him into your heart. He will be with you and teach you how to love. He'll show his love towards you no matter what you're going through. If you want to say this after me, let's just say this out loud. Say, Dear God, thank you for sending your son to save me. Jesus, I ask you into my life and I give you my life. You are my Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you've been watching, make sure that you share these messages. Uh, uh, you'll see our website and our YouTube channel, everything. They're meant to be shared. And I hope that you have an awesome week. We're celebrating Mother's Day here next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. God bless you guys. You're awesome. You're amazing. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.